0: Who wants, tell you, who wants a pot of coffee? I just make coffee. You want a cup of coffee? Sure, there you go. Who wants coffee? Anybody else want coffee? Who wants
1: coffee? And now it's time for the man with the caffeine, the new tropics for the brain. It's coffee with Mike. Hang in, hang tight, grab your cup, and let's get this thing started. Hey everybody, welcome back to Java Chats. Coffee with Mike here, and today I get to sit with this gentleman who happens to be maybe about a third away around the world from where I'm at. And he's all the way down in New Zealand. I have here with me Asa Cox. Asa, thanks for joining us today on Java Chat.
0: Great to be here. Thank you very much for the time.
1: As I try to choke down some coffee, real quick. Um, obviously the time difference is interesting usually i'm doing this at 8 30 in the morning today it's it's his actually it's his uh 8 30 or eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning i think it is actually where you're at tomorrow so i'm in wednesday he's He's in in thursday
0: Thursday is a great day already you should look
1: forward to it yeah i like hearing that 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 gives me that's right on good okay that means i can go to bed tonight um The sun does shine tomorrow. He's proof. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, as we do in all our shows, we'd love to have you uh, introduce a little bit of yourself. I'm um, sure so you got an interesting story. We were just kind of talking a little bit in pre-show about what his company does. and He's involved in something that I have dug into. Uh, I'm not a super student of, but I understand how it works. So I'm kind of curious, like, how'd you, how'd you get to be the CEO of a... Of this kind of a company i mean like what did you where, where are you from what would you
0: do yeah so I, i'm a non-technical founder so i'm neither data scientist, I, yeah, scientist. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't coded anything since a Commodore plus four in 1987 or i remember those i actually yeah, so used you know, um, tapes yeah. to play the games and you had to yep. lot of a command interface and yeah, that's literally the only coding in- <laughs> I've ever done. So, so yeah, my, my story, my the reason I, I get to where I am is is really through business development, relationship building, following your dreams, following your passions type thing. So, um, yeah, I did business, kind of general business management at school because prior to that, I was always trying to, you know, hustle some money to pay, pay for whatever it be, pay TV for sport or... Um, posters for my wall or whatever it may be and so I was kind of entrepreneurial as a kid um, used to put Christmas cards in the newspapers i delivered, try and get better tips you know Kind nice. of lawns did some, uh, did some dusting and cleaning around people's ha- just you know just whatever it could be to get some of those gold coins in my pocket sure uh, and so when I went to do university I did kind of business management did a little bit of management consulting and entrepreneurship kind of stuff um started my own company at university kind of a marketing and promotions type gig Try to get that off the ground post university but didn't we didn't really know what we were what we were doing we raised some money from some real estate agents i think I, it was something weird i don't know a few buddies try to find our way in the world um but my um my father had was working in big big pharma Worked for glaxo smithkline uh, had done for all of his career type thing, and so um, he just started his own business, like a trading company in pharmaceuticals, uh, and so that I kind of had to join the family company to pay my way through university, and uh, and I guess in some respects, unfortunately for me, I was in the industry for the next fifteen years on and wow. off. Wow! Um, in the in the kind of business development function, it was it was great actually as a. I started as a 17-year-old and I was in boardrooms kind of doing pictures. So, so um. for me, it was, it was in the deep end. And I kind of I realized I kind of thrived in that kind of environment where think fast, kind of hustle, fake it till you make it type stuff. And in the world of business development, there's a lot of opportunities, right? You're patterned all the time. What do they want? What have we got? is there a deal here so i just kind of loved the cut and thrust of all of that it wasn't in a domain which i studied or kind of loved but um kind of gave me a good connection with with my with my dad uh, to kind of be involved in that business um and so that kind of yeah for, i did a few other bits and pieces when i tried to leave the family company to do my own thing and ending in dragged back and kind of uh, <laughs> through my 20s kind of try to um yeah try to escape but never quite never quite made it the the pull back to the family business was too strong
1: yeah that's that's and again it depends on the 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 family ties and how that is it, you, you can easily get pulled back in um i've got a couple of friends that have been doing family businesses in fact I've, i just spoke to another gentleman this morning um who of all things was in the restaurant business with his family um went and bought a shop with his father separated from his father yeah. and then just I think I think he said in March of 2019 right before everything got shut down he opened up his own place Wow! and his is a story where we're, we're going to be doing a press release for him but his is a story where he actually has become the bridge between a professional sports team and the community that loves them it's oh, it's a really it's a really cool story so we're, we're gonna have fun with that but that's you know, again, family business, and and he hasn't left the he hasn't left the industry. Now you left the industry. You actually stepped yeah. out and went into something else completely different. Um, you mentioned university. You did that in New Zealand, or
0: no, in the UK. So I'm British, English. Yeah. So got it. Okay. Yeah, I went to university in, in Aston. For those who follow Premier League football, it's near Aston Villa, the the Premier League team. Uh, I don't support them, but um, <laughs> in the middle of the country. Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah, it was great. Big university town. Yeah, great connections made. Kind of still have lots of friends there. But, um, but yeah, kind of had, had a few entrepreneurial things with some friends. I kind of just kind of always had that. I love the idea kind of phase. i so kind of yeah. like the want to get something started. And my my challenge, my entrepreneurial challenge, is seeing it to to success before the next one kind of you know gets my interest. And so that's yeah, that's man. been an ongoing ongoing challenge for me on my on my journey for sure
1: typical entrepreneurship it's like okay that's good that started that's good is it walking okay it's walking okay good next yeah that's that's exactly how that's exactly how we are um, you're now in New Zealand though how the hell did you get down there
0: yeah so um, but the usual clandestine New Zealand immigration policy of sending out beautiful women around the world to various uh, English-speaking countries and kind of you know uh, bringing us all back here so that's that's what happened to me um, you, group, you got, right. got, got
1: Shanghai, is what you're
0: saying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh it could be worse right it could she, be a lot worse look,
1: she looked at you said chadda mate and it was it it was done it was over it was, it was gone yeah, so,
0: exactly tickets in hand right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. gone So we had a little bit of a hiatus in in canada so um, before moving from the uk to literally the other side of the world we we had uh nearly four years in southern ontario in canada um yeah, kind of no kids, and had a wild time, kind of doing doing uh, snow sports and winter sports. Oh, I sure! Had a fantastic time. It was awesome.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah.
0: And, and so, well, when I was in Canada, um, I kind of I spun out a data kind of subsidiary out of my the family company, um, and that because that was kind of what I thought was was going to be a bit of a pathway towards tech because. I I kind of always enjoyed tech. I said, I'm not a coder. A lot of my friends were, um, and I looked on to them enviously as they got their early stock options and whatever else. (laughs) uh, I kind of created this data data company, which was a searchable database in essence that you could kind of subscribe to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when I moved to Canada, we raised a little bit of money from a pharmaceutical lawyer um, who basically just wanted deal flow for his law firm, kind of in hindsight's a wonderful thing it was a very bad experience from an investor perspective it was great that we got some funding and we kind of went on this you know great great journey for a couple of years but it definitely taught me to find good investors so there's there's good money and there's bad money yeah. uh, not in terms of the source of the money but in what direction that kind of takes the business in and so yeah. they were much more interested in you know growing the referrals to their law firm and they really were building a sustainable business. Um, the lawyer actually they put the money in as a tax kind of write-off as well. So there was no real growth mentality it was like, well I've got I've got this tax bill that I kind of either I give the money to the IRS or I put you know put it into you guys. Um, and so yeah it was kind of again it was a good lesson. It was the first time I'd raised external capital uh, first time I really looked at investors because my um my dad was really like uh we're never taking money from anybody else um i'm gonna anyway so i kind of got lessons on that yeah um, sure and then uh, the, the plan always with my wife was as soon as we we had children that we'd moved down here so we had our first kid in in canada and then yeah, within six months we were we were living in new zealand
1: how do you like it down there
0: oh it's, it's paradise yeah it really is uh, it's everything you kind of you think it is 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 what it is yeah i've, I've um,
1: seen some amazing uh, videos and photos and you know both from uh from land and from sea and just the scenery out there is just unbelievable
0: uh, yeah. it, just... It's, it is a picture of, i mean it's most of the you know the u.s is similar it's got beautiful parts but in new zealand it's, got, it's all scrunched down into scrunch this, in this tiny room. little place with hardly any people that you can get around super easy. That was one of the frustrations in Canada was it's so massive that oh, yeah. you kind of, you don't really get to see it, right? <laughs> not, uh, not, in,
1: not in one, not in one summer. That's for damn sure. It just, it, the the States are way large. Well, The United States isn't exactly a small piece of land no, either. No, that's massive. Absolutely huge. Yeah. So it's, I, I always thought, and I'm, it's a, it's a bucket list of mines to get down there. So if I do, we'll have to go. Out. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, um, from everything that I've seen, plus the fact that I have a Polynesian background, you know, mm. it's, it's always been a dream of mine to go down and go hang out, you know, yeah. go hang out with everybody and just get to, get to acclimated, I guess, that uh, might not be the right word, but get, get, get around the culture.
0: Yeah.
1: And really, and really share stories and, and hear stories and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so as you, as you were down there, once you got down there, what, what happened from there? You're, you're, you're still kind of in between things at this point or uh,
0: yeah so the, the business had turned into more of a consulting kind of practice because i had all this data and kind of it was easier to monetize services than it was to continue to sure. that product which again what the law firm kind of wanted but I, I kind of determined that moving to new zealand was the opportunity to basically just go what what do i want to do because again I had young kids Consultants have to travel from New Zealand. I would have to travel at least 12 hours to get to any clients pretty much. And it was like, okay, here, now's the time to really start afresh and kind of follow passion and kind of just, yeah, build, build kind of career 2.0 kind of thing. And so that's what I did. I basically came in, um, parked my old LinkedIn profile, started a new one. I and mean, went, right, I'm in a new country. I know nobody apart from my wife's family. Um, I like to drink coffee and wine so basically in New Zealand that means you can pretty much get a a meeting with anybody and that's the that is the special thing about New Zealand is you can pretty much knock on the virtual door of a CEO and get a coffee I mean it's um, from a North American experience where you got six assistants to get through. You've got to kind of get through the receptionist. It's just kind of like, uh, don't bother me unless you're, you know, my peer or more superior, whatever, right? Whereas in New Zealand, they're they're very willing to have that conversation. It's down to you to kind of add value, but um, they're very willing just to kind of have a chat. Um, And so I wasn't really exactly sure what I was going to do when I came down. So I tried a whole bunch of different things um i new zealand beer is pretty pretty was growing craft beer was just getting going i have quite a lot of contacts in in china through my pharmaceutical days and so i created a, a craft beer exporting kind of nice. nature. if i can combine um drinking beer with business then maybe this is something Why not? Could, could
1: it's not a bad thing it's not a bad um, thing at all.
0: so that kind of that was good fun i kind of started on that but it was just the, the the challenge of New Zealand is it, it's not ready to scale. So <clears throat> all the breweries, and this is great, but what happens if we're successful because we haven't got the capacity to supply China? So it's kind of like a really weird situation where they're like, we'd love to do this, but we're in fear of it being successful. And so they all <laughs> decided instead to go wow. to, to the Northern Hemisphere, to the UK, where everyone in New Zealand has roots pretty much back to England. So, yeah, unfortunately, they decided to spend more time in the UK than in the yeah, in China, but whatever. Was, but it was good, good again to kind of understand a bit more around the New Zealand psyche, which is a little bit fearful of big success. Interestingly enough, sure. Um, but what I found was that didn't really get me the kind of networks I thought I might need to do something more around data and tech. And so I created a little growth hacking kind of agency. Um, so off the back of kind of doing stuff in North America, I'd have been exposed to basically the hustle of kind of marketing and again business development yeah. I kind yeah. of just kind of set it up as a more of a digital marketing growth hacking kind of thing and that just enabled me to start charging for the drinking coffee <laughs> pretty, pretty much <laughs> and so the the kind of things that I've been doing in North America that I've been exposed to I just kind of brought some of those growth hacking pr- principles to New Zealand and just hired a couple of kind of grads and did some digital marketing and um, kind of just use that again, as a way to kind of get different relationships, Sure. and um, to the to the point where in I guess it would be six and a half years ago now, so I've been in New Zealand uh, coming up eight years, and so six and a half, well maybe six years ago, um basically, I went to a a startup weekend, um, and it was in healthcare, so I'm like, okay, well, I'm like I've got some healthcare kind of background. I'm sure kind of interested right. in tech. I put together a couple of ideas that I thought were interesting kind of pitched them at the start of weekend and a couple of PhDs from the university there said, oh, these, this machine learning stuff that you're kind of talking about, we think we might be able to do it. Um, and so that was basically you know, the first couple of devs and data scientists who went, okay, this idea maybe not, but actually if I come up with some other opportunities, will you guys be interested in kind of collaborating on it? And so that was the start of what is now Arcanum. Um, and I just then basically just went out and again knocked on doors and um, talked to people and gradually got our first few projects so
1: arcanum kind of, was arcanum kind of just like a straight out here's the solution to the next deal or was it something that evolved or
0: um, yeah so what i i thought initially was after this kind of healthcare thing which was kind of interesting but was a bit too <clears throat> early in terms of the, the market was mm-hmm. then how do i apply machine learning to business development so i kind of saw Salesforce was kind of getting bigger, but that for me felt like a a widget based CRM. So you're selling, trying to sell the same thing or kind of a portfolio of things, but it wasn't relationship focused. So I was trying to, how how can I, how how can I apply my background, what I've seen in kind of global business development and relationship building, And is there a way to apply machine learning to that? So I kind of started going down that path and had some bad experiences with some developers overseas, what kind of basically just meant it never got off the ground. Um, But it it did help me kind of get a lot deeper into machine learning and AI and what was really possible and what was speculative and kind of just what was, what was real. Mm -hmm. Um, And so through that project and talking to people about that project again, kind of got into the, okay, well, we're thinking about this. And they're like, well, that's great. But what can it do this kind of got into the, what is possible with AI because think about six years ago, it's basically like Elon Musk saying the robots are coming, we're all doomed. Mm-hmm. So he kind of started setting up the kind of counter AI type stuff. Mm-hmm. Or for our generation, it was the Terminator, right? So yeah. you kind of, you basically yeah. had either it's literally robots taking over the world or AI coming to take all of the jobs. Uh, or at the other end of the extreme, it was the, the beginning to a rise of chatbots on on people's websites right so people just had no real idea about what ai could do and so that was basically what i was doing was knocking on the doors or going hey look i can tell you what's possible in your industry with ai as a way to kind of start getting on the journey to, to to utilizing it in your in your business and i was i was just doing the googling that they couldn't be bothered to do and presenting it back as an expert which Again, I've been an expert for all of five minutes, but I was just positioning it in a way which was business centric because I wasn't a, a a technical founder, I wasn't a technical person, so I I wasn't coming at it from the perspective of the algorithms or the data science. It was from the business perspective. So I, I honestly, what value can yeah, you get from it? Which was, different. I think, yeah, I think
1: that's I think that's actually a, a a greater value because it keeps you from going into the weeds too quickly, yeah. which which is. As somebody who's also studied machine learning and identity resolution, stuff like that, it's very easy to go running into the forest and leaving your, your client, your prospective client behind. Um, but if you're looking at it from a business standpoint of what it can actually do to affect the business, affect the user experience, affect the actual bottom line, you know, depending on who you're talking to in the organization, obviously. Um, my my biggest luck was always with the CFO. And I was amazed the CFO could see could see marketing concepts better than most marketers.
0: Wow.
1: I, 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 which, I, for some reason, in their head, the numbers translate so well that it's a great idea. The moment you bring it to a marketer, it's like, "Oh, that won't work." Right. The numbers show it'll work. Yeah,
0: yeah. And that, that's that was part of the mistake that we kind of made was, despite the fact we were trying to talk to the business, it ended up being still a technology engagement technology projects at the but end of the day at the uh, end of the day for
1: sure yeah. but to, to get it to get the approval it's it's you know in business development we always we always hit people at different levels in management just so that whoever is the actual responsible decision making party is the one who actually gets the final message and if we happen to hit two people above them they'll yeah. basically say go back to so and so and now that person knows oh now the c levels are watching i yeah. I, better, I better handle this yeah. it's it's unfortunately it's a north american thing we have to do it that way it's because nobody wants to bother with anything but yeah. once you get to that last part yeah there's going to be some tech talk I and mean, that's just how it goes yeah
0: uh, and at the time and still to be honest until i i'd say until covid a lot of the the discussions we were having was kind of like an innovation project where mm. they were like okay uh, some someone on the c-suite has seen a video or their young nephew have said oh you need to be doing this ai stuff so somebody's on high says we need to do ai and then eventually it would come down to us and they're like hey the boss somewhere has said we've got to do ai so can you help us figure out where we should do it and what that kind of means and can you do a prototype or and and so that's where we kind of started was people saying we need to figure out what's possible for our business and can we pay you to kind of Figure some stuff out. Give us some demos, kind of show the higher ups that we're doing AI or at least researching it. Uh, and so that's that's how we started. It kind of was a services business, um, but the critical thing was always because it was a naive market, uh, we kept all of the IP because that's awesome. people that we people that we were selling to wouldn't know the code. If nope. It slapped them in the face. Right, they, they have no idea. So we're like, <clears throat> don't, don't you have that technical debt? We'll we'll keep all of the code. We'll just give you some outcomes, and so that that was
1: always the strategy. That that amazes me too. That AI has become such a complicated coding thing, versus the guys that do the normal coding. Right. Um, and I didn't realize how much of a stark difference there is between the two languages. There are stark differences. I guess, I guess because of the methodology that it that it passes through, as far as AI is concerned. Um,
0: yeah, it's come out of academia, right? And it just takes I'm a while. Like, for- takes a while for the the academic kind of origins to kind of translate into a more common set of coding principles and languages and that kind of stuff. So it's
1: it yeah. it gonna long it's gonna take the super brainiacs to come up with that one. That's a meanwhile the rest of us are out here going. Okay, guys, anytime. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, cool. Make it easy for us. Yeah.
1: yeah, really, please, somebody make it a little simpler, would you? Um, we're gonna take a quick thirty second break. When we come back, we'll chat a little bit more with Ace about. Um, so, what some of the challenges that he faced and some of the things that kept him going so we'll be back in 30. hey guys back um coffee with mike here sitting with asa cox of Arcanum. um we were talking a little bit about um his journey earlier uh from the time that he went through canada and lived the life if you will um enjoying all of that up there and then moving down to the land of the long white cloud that's what uh, new zealand is cl- called in maori um Having to restart over again, that had to be a little bit daunting. I mean, like you had all this stuff, great stuff, back up in the U.K. and possibly Canada, and now you're in this whole new place, which essentially is is a rock in the middle of the water, yep. uh, albeit a big one. Don't get me wrong. Yep. Um, but you're like starting from scratch. I mean, what's what's all that like?
0: In some respects, it was uh, incredibly exciting. It was. Like, Every every person I'd met, I had no connection to whatsoever. It was kind of fresh, fresh faces, fresh stories, fresh connections. Which you know that endorphin, I guess, of you know connecting <laughs> with somebody and then going, oh, I really enjoyed that. And kind of like it was kind of like you know, um, yeah, life life in kind of speed dating kind of world. It was kind of like can I make connections anywhere? Because that mm-hmm. was really what it's about. <clears throat> um, so it was exciting, but on the other hand, it was um, yeah, I've got a wife and couple of young kids at that point and going, okay, well, how how do we survive? Right. Cause um, yeah, as much as there was still a kind of pseudo business still kind of running in the pharmaceutical space, it was like, well, I'm twelve hours and time zone away from that and I don't want to be operating it. So kind of really in this space of transitioning. So it's a little bit there was a little bit of uncertainty, but um, as I'm sure many of your listeners, that that's also that risk and that uncertainty is also part of the entrepreneurial excitement is, can I figure it out? Can I get through this? And so for me, it was it was an exciting kind of time, um, but it, it really was just a matter of arbitraging every conversation into, can I add a little bit of value to the next person that I talk to because they may be yeah you know, the the one that can open an opportunity or connect me to somebody else whatever so every every meeting was was precious because you just didn't know where it was going to go which was which was pretty exciting um but it what really was just starting from scratch i mean my yeah I just knew my wife's family, and they're very local they weren't spread across the country oh. and they um, were school teachers. They were builders. There was one in one in IT, but in a completely different area that I had no idea about. So there was really nobody useful <laughs> that that would really uh, really set me on a path to what I wanted to do. Um, so I, I basically you know joined some sports teams, joined a couple of local networking groups, um, networked through our church, and basically just went, okay, how where can I embed myself into different communities and try and one. Establish my life here because that's what I was. We were never planning on leaving again, so I had to figure out how to get into communities both locally, professionally, you know, from a, a personal kind of perspective, and also then figure, yeah, figure out how to build a business of some kind because, um, my, my CV didn't look like CVs that they had here in New Zealand, so you know, I'd kind of been in family business and international and blah blah blah, but it, I, I couldn't fit. Or maybe I didn't want to fit into a box The guy, actually, I'm just going to get a regular job here and just kind of, you know, take the paycheck and keep the wife happy and look after the kids. But um, I kind of by that point already mentally said I can't work for other people because I've been doing my own thing for so long. Um, I think apart from working for my family, I spent a grand total of maybe nine months on the payroll of another company. So for me, it was just... I didn't know how to do the work for somebody else thing. And so mm. that just wasn't really an option for me mentally. Um, and that that definitely put on some pressure from sure. um, in a family sense, because my wife's like, hey, let's just go, go and get a regular job. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't know what that looks like. I don't know where that would make me happy and so on. So there, there was definitely some, you know, some some tension there. But as like I say it was also a very exciting time.
1: Most, most entrepreneurs, in fact, I just, again, I, as I mentioned, we had another recording earlier today. Same story, it's um, as they tried to climb the course, as, as they did climb the corporate ladder, if you will, um, they found themselves quite miserable. Um, they, just, they just didn't find any fulfillment in doing it. In their case, it wasn't so much that it was working for somebody else. It was just the box, like you mentioned. The box was too restrictive. They didn't have, they didn't really have enough mm-hmm. to, to make them feel like they were fulfilled and i think i think everybody's looking for that whether you ha- whether you're in a job or whether you own a business i don't i don't think that's exclusive to entrepreneurs but being able to find that um, that that's the big question is you know, where will i find fulfillment will it be will it be as the gas station attendant or will it be the ceo of a company you know or will it just be an investor what, whatever that may be i think it's just a question everybody has to answer for themselves um, when when you've when you finally figure that part out what what let me let me back up a sec. some of the some of the entrepreneurs that we've had on here have had mentors, have had coaches and things of that nature. Who were some of your biggest influences as you were moving through this this journey?
0: Yeah, I, I think in in hindsight, that was one of my biggest um, missteps is not very early on trying to find mentor here in New Zealand to help me navigate through the landscape that I, I kind of didn't didn't know at all um, throughout my my earlier career there was a few people that I would kind of consider mentors in terms of they were further ahead in their careers or they'd had more experience or whatever and you know they would be people that I regularly you know have conversations with but I don't know whether they would classify themselves as a mentor whether I would classify myself as a mentee it was more of a yeah, that was just the kind of relationship that we had. Um, and to be honest, um, I think because of you know, most of my this is what the world looks like came through my father and my own kind of work experiences. And he didn't push the value of mentoring, whether that just didn't happen in his corporate life um, or whether yeah, he he didn't get the value from it, potentially. Uh, but that just was, wasn't something that was... Um, yeah, it was kind of um, yeah of f- the forefront of my mind when I came to New Zealand because it hadn't been historically so it kind of and, and that's definitely a, a burden which um, in the early days and and, and throughout um, up until probably the last two or three years that that as a solo founder kind of entrepreneur um, then then the weight is on on your shoulders so I, you know I'd never have really had since I kind of created the the data business in the pharma space in 2008, I hadn't had any other co-founders. So for me, it's always been a solo journey. And you feel that, you know, the weight on the shoulders, the burden quite a lot. And mentors can definitely help that, but that just wasn't a path that people had pushed or promoted or recommended. Uh, and so for me, it was, yeah, it was definitely, you know, it, it weighed heavy on my shoulders. Um, but more recently, yeah, that, that's changed. And I now kind of, you know, see an incredible value from that. But, that's definitely one of the things I'd recommend and wish I'd had a lot earlier was somebody to share the, the mental stress, the the challenges, the decisions, and just kind of a sounding board for sensible decisions. I just, yeah. I just didn't
1: have that. <clears throat> you kind of had to go and uh, take the machete and cut through the, the trail yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've all done it at least once, maybe yeah. twice. Um, you mentioned you have co-founders. What's that like? I, I, as I was looking at your site, it looks like you've got a team of almost 20.
0: Yeah, in total we have. So that kind of coming back to where I kind of started six years ago, um, there, there's definitely some painful co-founder stories. So <laughs> one of one of the I mentioned the the um, the startup weekends, the healthcare one, where I kind of met a couple of guys, and one of them was a double PhD data scientist, American, actually, kind of child prodigy musician to be on stage with Stevie Wonder, and was just like this. Mega brain and and everybody could, you know, when you talk about AI and data science, they were the that was the kind of persona people expected to be involved, right? And so I'm like, okay, this guy's got the the academic chops. So he can kind of talk the talk. I can kind of do the business ideas, and he's got the you know he can talk about how it could happen. Uh, so okay, let's <clears throat> let's start this AI business together because you know that's a good match. I'll do the selling, you do the doing, and kind of off we go um but i think it was it was more it was a decision out of uh opportunity or not desperation is not the right word but it's kind of like i i thought i'd found this unicorn that every company in new zealand would want to work with and that was going to be you know the the brain that i was going to sell in essence to just kind of start the company and he was fine with that. he was kind of that kind of massaged his ego um but very very quickly it became pretty clear um, that um, he was way too academic, didn't actually want to get his hands dirty in coding stuff, wanted to be more kind of theoretical, wanted a whole bunch of minions to kind of do do the coding and kind of, uh, so it ended up being incredibly painful. Yeah, um, yeah. And a, 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 we got a few projects and it was kind of fine commercially, <laughs> kind of the, the wheels were beginning to turn We'd hired a couple of developers and then um, a a friend of mine from the UK reached out uh, and we were good friends. And she said, I'm I'm thinking about leaving the UK, for whatever family reasons, I want to come to New Zealand and I want to kind of start afresh. Um, I've got some money. How about I put it into the business and we kind of come in and we kind of she was she'd been a COO of some startups before. I'm like, great. Now I've got the technical, I've got the operations, I've got me. This is, you know, this is going to be great. Yeah, same, same challenge, um, not cut out for the stresses of life, plus the stresses of business, plus the stress of this, the data scientist guy who was kind of all over the place. i uh, say so it got, it got pretty messy. Um, and then because of the way we weren't growing as quickly as we thought, we started looking for outside funding to kind of go, let's give ourselves some breathing room so we can build some stuff. Um and then, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we got in, um, not involved, but a, a kind of a very bizarre situation where somebody came in and turned the other two co-founders against me, joined the board, and tried to force me. It got super, super messy. Um, it, it worked out really well in the end, but for six months, it was uh, it was horrible, just really, really horrible.
1: It's kind of hard to, um, especially when you when you're hearing from like in the case of the child prodigy um it's it's kind of hard to tell what the reality is until you actually get involved i mean sure you can sit down and interview people and you know ask questions but anybody can answer a question it's whether or not they can perform that becomes the real question and yeah. and, and how well they can perform uh, especially under pressure like this the, the yeah. uh, it. <clears throat> it, it doesn't it doesn't wax well when somebody isn't able to handle the two, the pressures from both sides. You know, it's like It's not, it's not necessarily burning the candle from both ends, but you're definitely putting a, a 90 pound press on it. That's for sure. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And, and very academic oriented people um, oh. who are used to getting I don't know, six months, 12 months, three years to do some research or to produce an output. They can kind of wade around in the data. And it's like, you no, know, we need to deliver something to this client. Like, next friday so like so that that the cadence it's just it's just that there was a complete mismatch in the business needs of the the brains versus the kind of academic um orientation of the brains and it just it just was a complete mismatch but the, yeah. the big lesson for me was i mean it was, a, it was a stupid dumb thing not to have done it's just nail down shareholders agreements and all that kind of stuff right it was just a naive again a I've been through it before. I, I, you know, I had shareholder agreements. So i would got into business with a lawyer who was, you know, the shareholders agreement were a mile long. So I, oh. I knew better, um, but I still kept putting it off. You know, we, we, we credited the entity. We kind of divvied up the shares in the company and we never got around to getting the shareholders agreement sorted out. And that, that bit me in the bum big time, but. Yeah, that'll,
1: um, that'll definitely bite you. Uh, good point to make. Um, Cause I've, I've done the same thing. You know, you, you get in a business with people, you hope that everybody's got their, their, the right idea of what they need to get done. And then all of a sudden stuff doesn't get done. And you're like, okay, what's yeah. going on? Yeah. Why, are, why, why is this not completed yet? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm, yeah. That's not going to work. <laughs> no,
0: and unless you've got the legal levers to be actually yeah. kind of mm. reclaim part of your business or kind of hold, hold people's foot to the flames. Then really, it becomes a personal thing, which is then that's
1: at that point you might as well just shut it down because that that once it becomes personal, it's no longer good, it's not business anymore. So, but since then, you graduated and you found this new team. So, how did you find who you have now?
0: Yeah, so through um going through a formal funding process, that the once the mess had been tidied up and I had 100% ownership with the company back again, um, then I kind of went out and found some proper investors in the tech space Uh, one of them um scott houston who's our cto he'd a multi-venture kind of founder everybody kind of knew he was like the network if i'd known him 12 months before (laughs) he just knew everybody everybody knew
1: where are are you why are you showing up now
0: (laughs) that was i got to meet scott because um he was on a flight back from Vancouver to Auckland and sat next to a friend of mine from Canada. Um, Scott was thinking about writing a book now that he'd retired because he sold his company. And he's like, Oh, I want to do something around AI. Do you know people in AI? And my buddy's like, actually, there's this guy down in Wellington that you may want to go and talk to. And then one thing led to another, he invested and became the CTO. Um, So again, very serendipitous, but again, just, networks and conversations right that's um sometimes you can think you're doing the smart thing and then other times it just gets delivered to you on a plate um and yeah that's there's there's really a good way to start so then we off the back of that we then kind of built a team proper rather than being a opportunistic who can i meet to kind of create something then it became a much more structured approach and and now yeah now we've got proper people doing proper jobs and uh, I know that I don't. You know, I'm working from home today, and I know everything is just fine. <laughs> um, whereas, yeah, back back then, it would be if I'm not on the office, I'm worried about what the heck's going on. So it's yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's a lot easier life when you've got a good team around you.
1: And everybody, and so everybody's located there.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, we've got a couple of contractors. One in Thailand who does kind of web stuff. Somebody actually in California does some very technical stuff. But yeah, everyone else is based in New Zealand, and all but one of the New Zealand team are based in one.
1: Awesome. That's really good. Yeah. That sounds like it was a proper procedure. Yeah. Uh, we have pretty much the same idea. What would you say was, um, what's your biggest takeaway from everything you've done so far?
0: Uh, I think if you, if you believe it enough, you're passionate enough about it mm-hmm. and you've got that endurance, you know, the, the grit that everyone kind of knows is necessary as part of entrepreneurialism. Um, then you can get there right i mean literally i turned up in a country with no background in something that i wanted to do i uh, didn't know anybody and yeah that again it has been a journey um but it kind of just shows that with enough determination with enough just grind get up and do it again you can actually build something which has some good potential so for me it's it's that endurance yeah it's you know there's been times where it's not been good for my health it's not been good for my family health it's not been but Uh, and I wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to go through that again, but if, if it was the only way to get to where I am now, then yeah, I probably would do it
1: again. Yeah. Endurance. There's a lot, there's a lot to be said for being able to endure, especially through the rough times. Um, we've all done it. There are numerous entrepreneurs that have said, you're going to take this journey and be ready to have a year or two of no paychecks. Yeah. That's just how, that's just how it goes. You're going to be dropping money right back into the company. You're going to be struggling to pay bills. You're going to be. Um, I remember when I, when I was first, before I started doing this podcast, I actually did a, uh, actually did a live on, um, on Facebook at the time I was doing business development and stuff. And it was, it was at night. So of course, background's dark. And I remember I was in my red hoodie and I literally said, so you want to be an entrepreneur? Awesome. Let me share with you what it's like. And I poured out all the bad stuff and I just kept dumping I'm like, oh, that's about 15 to 20 minutes of all the shit that you're going to be dealing with. By the way, that's just the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you're if you're if you're looking at it though from the standpoint of I don't have a lot to look forward to, that's wrong. Yeah. In the midst yeah. of all of that stuff that you're going to have to deal with, the good is on the other side. Like you said, as long as you have the endurance, if you can run the full race, and the race never ends. But if you can run the full race, on the other side, there is a finish line there is
0: there. Have the conviction right and that, that kind of came back to your point of before about what where's your passion because you've got to you have to be able to get up every day and train yourself to jump out of bed and put your best effort into that mm. day because mm. that's yeah. what you got to do you just got to be able to keep on doing that on the roller coaster of you know use the ups to kind of give you some energy and just try and bottom out the downs because they're inevitable but and if you don't have that passion and that conviction it's kind of a half hearted, I'm going to try and make this work, but I've got to back. You know, you kind of get why investors say you've got to be all in on this because if yeah. you're not all in, then it's going to come up when it gets hard. And, yeah. Um, and that is, it will get hard. <laughs> you know, we, we see the Hollywood stories or we see the, um, the podcasts and the magazines about all these overnight successes, which have taken 10 years. Um, and all of the
1: the painless process thats not that's not real right that's the one percent yeah that's that's the the rarities. the that's the unicorns yeah absolutely yeah all right guys we're going to take one more 30 second break when we come back we'll talk a little bit more about our what it does what it can do and how you can get a hold of either asa or any of his team to be able to discuss any of your projects that you might be coming uh might be coming online so we'll be back in 30. hey guys back for our last section here at java chat sitting here with asa cox uh the company's called Arcanum. Yep. It is. Well, I'm just gonna let you talk about it. <laughs> I have an idea. We talked about it earlier, but I'd rather the man talk about it himself. So, what is Arcanum? What does it do?
0: Yeah. So, Arcanum is that is the the Latin word means secret elixir. Um, so, for for anybody that plays Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, then it kind of yeah, aside from coffee, secret elixir, <laughs> and uh, uh, so yeah, the the Arcania, the Arcanum, um, is that kind of yeah, the secret elixir. And, and so what we want to do and the whole mission behind the company is to help people get access to that AI, that secret elixir that can make their companies, their products more awesome. Um, that's the kind of mission of the company is there's a lot of latent awesomeness in companies. Nice. Yeah, everyone like entrepreneurs, there's product owners and there's you know, entrepreneurs um, that go, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if our software could do this? Or if if we didn't have to repeat this process or we got an understanding of what we should do next that you know that would make my workplace better make my customers happier whatever it may be and so that that's what we're on a mission to do is to help companies unleash their latent awesome through machine learning and ai um so what we've got now we're, we're, we're about to go into public access for uh, our platform um and that platform helps that unleashing process. Um, So on our journey of building various products and prototypes and MVPs, what we found was um, when we handed them over, um, they've handed the code, it never made it all the way through to production. So we were giving them the machine learning bits. At least sometimes big enterprises, sometimes um, smaller, but it never quite made it into the IT world It was an IT project, but never ended up connecting to the current IT. And so what what we found um, through that discovery process, and even internally, was the world of the data scientist eggheads and the world of the developer geeks is so different that globally, uh, and this is a a pretty easy to find number, over 80% of AI ML projects fail at the point of IT integration. Why do you think that is? Because these two worlds is just so different. So there's data scientists who are kind of in the data. They've got their own tooling. So they're kind of doing their data exploration, their data science their algorithm developments and so on. But the code that they produce is kind of lab-scale research code. But that's the thing that gets handed over to the developers to say, right, now go and productionize that. And the, the developers are like, we don't even know what this is. This is in R or it's not at that point. It wasn't even in Python. So here's a Jupyter notebook. Here's some algorithms written in some weird language we don't know. And how do we actually get it from this run on a local machine to being web scalable in the cloud? And, and that that disconnect is just a, such a massive misunderstood or just not understood problem that um it was just causing so many projects to fail and so we saw in a micro way we saw in our own team where we've got data scientists and we've got software devs and even you know in the same office literally opposite each other that synchronization wasn't easy that integration especially to do it at scale repeatable a lot best spoke kind of software every time and so kind of solving our own problem and then you know solving a larger larger problem in the industry
1: so that opens up uh, that, so you're opening this up as a uh, to the general public when you say that are you just you're you're now gonna give the ability for is this more meant for ITs and devs to to jump into or is this like literally a, a a business owner can actually jump into this and make use of it?
0: Yeah, so so ultimately, we want to democratize the access to machine learning and AI, which in some respects, the big cloud companies are saying they're doing that. kind of like come along and plug and play. But it really isn't plug and play.
1: I haven't seen that yet.
0: (laughs) You've got to be an expert. Um, And so that's why you see quite a lot of the sassification of AI, because actually the big tech companies aren't doing a very good job. And then on the other hand, you've got the big consulting companies, the big service integrators saying it's super hard. Sign up with us for a year. We'll try and develop something for you. And and so actually, on either I side of that, we'll
1: try to develop something. For, yeah, that's the stuff that scares me. Yeah.
0: So on either side of that, there's a dissatisfied customer in in yeah. there. Yeah. So we want to try and make it as simple as possible for for me, because I'm again I'm non-technical. So if I can do it, then that's my kind of benchmark, right? Is then anybody can actually do it? Absolutely. Uh, so, so our low-code platform will enable that. So we've got two options: either you bring your own data science so you're a larger company you've got data scientists and you've got developers but you this gap in the middle is causing a lot of pain so we can solve that problem or out of the box we've got um, AI which is just very easy to integrate again so I can literally push a few buttons drag and drop and then I can produce something which can go to my developers and they go oh this is what I need to be able to integrate this stuff into, into our software so just really makes and the idea to execution, or at least to testing, then you've still got to make some business decisions about moving it forwards, but at least it goes some idea to testable in in a matter of you know twenty four hours whereas historically it's taken weeks, months or eighty percent of the time <clears and people throat> um, so yes you've, we're trying to get into that
1: point. you've bridged you're you're bridging a chasm that most people don't realize actually exists that's really good. Exactly. Um, yeah. Who's the Who's the tip? Who Who are the typical clients that would probably make best use of this?
0: So we, you know, the hypothesis originally was big enterprises have this pain, they've got a backlog of things they want to get into production, they're investing huge amounts of money into data science, and they're like, where When are we going to get the value? And so we we kind of we built it knowing that that was a massive market, but what we found is despite the fact that those enterprise saying, this is urgent. We're getting pressure from the the board. Their version of urgent to our version of urgent is a world away, right? So the cadence of solving those big problems is just too slow for us at this point in our life cycle. So what we've done actually, we found success in other SaaS companies. So um, similar size to us and bigger. So looking around in that kind of just before series A or just after series A, they're beginning to scale. And they're looking at how do we deliver on the promises that we've made either to our customers or to our investors that we're going to do AI, (laughs) right? Right, So how do we actually get to recommendation functions? How do we get to predicting things? How do we get to personalization at scale? How do we get to adaptation for user experience? All All of those things we're like, yep, this is, you know, we're going to deliver that. And then we're like, oh, we we just we're not quite sure how we're going to do it, and we don't want to overinvest in something that we don't know. Uh, we want to go faster than we think we can do through recruiting and building our own team. We want to have the certainty of um, of our OpEx um, kind of model, and so that's what we're finding is is hitting the sweet spot is companies that where the cadence is the same. When they say urgent, they mean urgent. We've got to get this feature out in the next release. Uh, we we are worried about a competitor coming that's going to eat our lunch. We we see a huge opportunity just over here if we can deliver this new feature or function, and so that's that's the world where we're seeing most success. And that's in fintech. Uh, it's in IoT. It's in sport tech. Uh, it's in a whole bunch of you know kind of sectors, but the common common threads are doing stuff with unstructured data. So if you've got documents, you've got PDFs, you've got audio files, you've got video, how do you get a lot more value out of that and unlock some value for your customers? Um, or recommendations is the other big thing really. So you've got a user, what what do you tell your user to do next? Um, what you know, How to make their journey better? How do you expand the use of your platform so you make more money? How, how, so that they're the two kind of major things is automation of the extraction of information from big data sets that is really hard to, to wrangle, um, and and then the recommendations for the users. They're the kind of two big areas at the
1: moment. <clears throat> Sounds like a whole new category of expertise is is being brought to the table here at this point.
0: Yeah, because um, if you think about natural language processing. Uh, which is, you know, that extracting information from text. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, one, uh, we've got um, the capability for this recording. We can upload the video this recording. It extracts all of the uh, audio. Then it transcribes it all. And then it will output the sentiment on a second-by-second basis, on a sentence-by-sentence basis, and the share of voice. So did you do most of the talking? Or did I do most of the talking? what was the, the sentiment over that time and then you can do that across all of your podcasts and go okay, actually when did I appear to be happier how much coffee had I had that day or what day of the week was it or was it a particularly interesting topic or was the person so you can you know if you imagine that at an organizational level in the world that we now live in people are like wow we've, we're getting insights that we just had unless we have somebody sat in every single meeting in every single call we can't get those insights and so that expertise we have out of the box for people now so you can put in a video you can put in a a re- website review you can put in an email chain you can put in whatever and you will get that information out the other, out the other end and that's incredibly powerful but now it's kind of accessible to to anybody
1: that's huge that's that's actually really huge um Website is arcanum.ai? Yeah, okay.
0: so A-R-C-A-N-U-M, arcanum.ai. Yep.
1: Okay, cool. And then if somebody wants to find you, can they find LinkedIn's
0: you? The LinkedIn's right? So I was one of the first 15,000 users of LinkedIn um, I, because, again, for me, business development was at the core of what I was doing. I have been doing for my whole life. So for me, now, when you think about what do you do on your mobile phone every day it's kind of like for me it's email sport linkedin they're kind of my three default if i've got a few minutes in between meetings that's my kind of process so i've, I've just lived, always lived in linkedin um, and so yeah people can find me on that and you will if you search for my name you'll see my old linkedin profile which still exists in the pharma world and then my my new one which is asocoxnz which is my my new persona for arcanum and i've actually just last week reconnected the two together to see whether I can get some opportunities in my old network. Um, Most, most,
1: most people will, uh, well, your new LinkedIn is going to be one of the links that's going to be in the, in the comment section as well as the website. Um, What's, what would you think is the biggest challenge that you're facing right now? Considering that you've already gotten to this point, you've you've done a lot of, you've obviously had a good level of success. What's your biggest challenge at present?
0: Now it's in the interesting kind of scale phase, right? So as I was kind of said earlier on in the discussion, I like in creating things. And now we're in that phase of we've, we're still going to, the platform will continue to be created, but now we've got to get something where we can turn the handle, where it's repeatable and I've got to kind of step back from that always wanting to create new things. Actually, we just got to turn the handle and just sell multiple of the same thing, which is for me is a little bit of a challenge, actually, you know, mentally. Um, but that's basically what we're doing, right, is we're trying to get that top of the funnel to come through. So as you kind of alluded to earlier, this is a new capability which people don't know they currently need we don't get inbound traffic, right? We, we do content marketing, but people aren't Googling for solve me the problem between data scientists and devs, right? So,
1: right? so
0: that becomes a bit of a challenge in there. <clears throat> um, and so we're very focused on our channel and our partners who are already having those conversations with customers. But for us, it's it's really that top of the funnel stuff. It's We just want to talk to people who want to do some smart stuff in their software. And we want them to know that you know, literally for a couple of thousand bucks and a couple of weeks, you can deliver something, right? And that, because that's the message which people aren't hearing in the market. Either they're bombarded by big tech who say, come here, come here and do everything in the cloud or they're McKinsey and Bain or Deloitte or whoever saying, you've got to have a global strategy and go all in on AI and you've got to commit millions of dollars. So we just want it to be, it is accessible and real, just start today.
1: It makes It that makes it actually accessible for mid-size and even some of the larger small business enterprises. Absolutely.
0: Awesome. So that's one of the good pieces of advice I had from a new investor recently is, how do you turn the constraints of the New Zealand as a country market into a competitive advantage? And so our biggest enterprises in New Zealand are SMEs in the big markets, right? So we've <laughs> built something which actually is fit for the second tier mid-market in most of the developed countries. So that's where we're targeted. We, we don't want the massive logos because we know we're wasting our time in that space because Silicon Valley already solves those problems. Yeah. But for 95% of the rest of the companies out there, yeah, they need something which is easy and actually delivers value very quickly. And so we're, we're going after that kind of tier two mid-market.
1: Makes absolute sense. That's awesome. Well, guys is we've we've actually kind of overshot our time um we've 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 had a we've had an excellent chat again here asa really thank you for coming and sharing your story and sharing your your business and things of that nature um guys you know where to find them all the links are down in the in the description below make sure you subscribe make sure you hit the but the little bell next to it so you know when the next you know podcast or youtube video comes out um anchor has started doing video podcasts so you guys might actually see this podcast as a video as well as an audio uh so if you if you happen to be watching us on anchor make sure you subscribe over there and show us a little support we could use it uh if you're listening to us on any of the other platforms by all means you know subscribe download leave us a review if you would and and be honest be brutally honest if you would apparently i got my first hater which means i've arrived yeah i said i shouldn't have said anything i offered nothing of value which was like wow okay cool um i'm I'm still sitting here going considering who i was talking to he was probably right actually (laughs) it is what it is is. um out of all of these stories though there's somebody out there that could probably get at least one or two golden nuggets out of these interviews take this one send it off to a friend a colleague you know somebody that you think could actually, hey, you know, here's a story, check this out, or here's a company. I mean, Arcanum. You know, um, if you might know a developer that's having this issue at their at their SME, send them this interview, let them get in touch with us. Uh, it's meant for all of you. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're you're working at a gas station or you're working at a at a at a huge Fortune Five company. It, all of these stories matter to somebody. So, give it a shot, share it out. Uh, we really do, we really do appreciate the fact that you make the time and take the time to come and watch or listen. Uh, and we hope you continue to. So till next time, stay up, stay safe, stay healthy and live. For myself, Coffee with Mike and Asa Cox. Ciao for now. For more information on Java Chat, visit www.javachatpodcast.com. You've been listening to Coffee with Mike on Java Chat. Tune in weekly to this podcast for the next episode. You can also download or subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform. A production of Oasis Media Group, LLC. Located in
0: Las Vegas, Nevada. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.